what's going on, Cornerstone? Man, did anybody come excited about Jesus this morning? Let's go. Hey, my name is Brent. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so grateful and thankful uh, for each and every one of you that decided to come and hang out with us. Major shout out to all of our first-time guests. Cornerstone, can we make some noise for our first-time guests real quick? And also a huge shout out to those who are watching online. Well, y'all, today uh, we're kicking off a brand new series entitled Relationship Restart. It's a five-week series. I want to encourage you to make sure that you make it every single week because it's going to be good, y'all. Today, we're going to deal with the topic around conflict. Here's the truth of the matter. In our relationships, one of the things that I have come to discover is that it is rare to where you will avoid conflict when dealing with people. It's a part of the process. And one of the things that I observe about the culture that we live in, the time in which we live in, is so often when conflict arises, so many of us are always focused on proving why we're right and why you're wrong. There's a wife in this room right now that's saying, amen, Pastor. And here's the truth of the matter. I understand why oftentimes in the heat of the moment, you and I can want to prove why we're right. But what if, in fact, when it comes to conflict, the goal isn't necessarily to be right? What if, in fact, when dealing with conflict, the goal is to actually be light? Say it again truth of the matter is, is when you and I deal with conflict, sometimes it's unavoidable. But one of the opportunities that presents itself in conflict is not to simply prove my point for why I'm right on this topic, why I'm right on this issue, but maybe just maybe I can take this opportunity in conflict and be like, be like Jesus. Be light. So here it is. Uh, over the next 25 minutes or so, we're going to have a topic or a conversation around this. But before I jump into it, would you do me a favor and join me in a word of prayer? Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for the opportunity to stand and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In this moment, I decrease and ask that you would increase. Hide me behind the cross. Let me say only what it is you want me to say and nothing more than that. And Father, I pray that at the conclusion of what it is you've asked me to say, number one, whatever I mess up, God, would you make it up? And number two, I'm praying that you would touch our hearts and touch our minds and allow us to leave this place transformed by the power of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give me preaching power that only comes from you. And I'll be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. And everybody said... Amen. So I want to start off this morning by telling you uh, about my very interesting traveling experience during the holidays break uh, with the infamous Southwest Airlines. Um, let me just say off bat, I know that there are some people in this room and who are watching online who probably work for Southwest. So with all empathy, let me just put it out there. Southwest has done everything that they can, y'all to make up what they have messed up. They, they hooked your boy up with 25,000 rewards points. I'm looking forward to my next trip. I uh, got an email from the CEO, so they're doing everything they can to make it right. With that being said, they gave me some amazing sermon content. So here it is. 
It's Christmas Eve, December 24th. I'm in the final service here at Cornerstone. It's our 6 o'clock service. I sent my family ahead of me uh, to go to Orlando, Florida. That's where we were going to spend Christmas. And I promised my kids that I would be there Christmas morning. All day on Christmas Eve, my flight kept getting delayed, kept getting delayed, kept getting delayed. Uh, during the 6 o'clock service, I get a final notification that says my flight is canceled. So I drive to my house, I get my bags, I'm trying to call, I can't get through. I get to the airport at 7.15 p.m. I finally get the chance to see and speak to someone at 1.15 a.m. I spent six hours in line. It was like going to Disney with no ride at the end. So I'm standing in line. I finally speak to the young lady. She says, sir, uh, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to book a flight for you to leave on Tuesday. I said, the devil is alive. <laughs> but here's what she says next. But we're going to pray because I'm going to put you on a standby flight that leaves at 6.20 this morning. And we're going to pray that you can make the flight. Y'all, I think she was a believer because I made my flight, and it's good because the one on Tuesday got canceled. So here it is. I'm in Orlando. I'm enjoying my trip with my family, and the reason why it's a trip is because my kids are with me. Otherwise, if I got to leave them, it would have been a vacation, but you can't have no vacation with kids. So I enjoy my trip. The trip comes to a conclusion. I'm flying back now on New Year's Eve. It's December 31st. The flight leaves early. We get up at 3.30 in the morning, getting ready to drive to the airport. I put my wife and kids on another airline, and then I'm flying back on Southwest. Thankfully, there's no delays. Everything is running smooth. I get on the plane. I'm dead tired. I fall asleep for the first two hours. Here's the issue. This entire time as I'm going to the airport, I've got my AirPods in. So when I wake up after my two-hour nap, I decide to watch a movie. I decided to watch this movie called Elvis. It's a really good movie. So I'm enjoying this movie. I'm 45 minutes into the movie, and all of a sudden, my AirPods die. So I say, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my AirPods out. I'm going to put them in the charger. They charge pretty quick, but I'm going to keep watching this movie. So I'm continuing to watch the movie. I got the volume really low. I look around me. I see everybody else has headphones on, so I'm not being disruptive. About five to seven minutes into me watching this movie, all of a sudden the flight attendant walks by, and she sees me watching this movie without headphones on. She stops, and she looks at me, and she says, Sir, if you want to continue to watch your movie... You must wear headphones. I said, why? She said, because it's a rule on the plane. I said, when? She said, sir, it does not matter. It's a rule on the plane. I look back at her and I say, ma'am, even if it is a rule, don't you see that everybody around me has headphones on? They can't even hear what I'm listening to. She said, sir, it doesn't matter. You either wear headphones or you watch the movie on silent and you read the subtitles. <sighs> Y'all, it was in this moment that there were two competing voices that were speaking to me. The first voice came from Lucifer himself. 
And here's what he said to tell the lady. He said, Brent, tell the lady, ma'am, y'all canceled two of my flights. I stood in line for six hours. This has been the worst Christmas experience I have ever had traveling to get my family. You canceled more than 8,000 flights, and you ruined Christmas for a whole bunch of families. The least of your concerns right now is my headphones. However, there was this other voice called the Holy Spirit. And here's what he said. Pastor Brent, there's a scripture in Romans 13 that says, obey those in authority over you. Thankfully, I had about 25% Holy Ghost left in me. So I looked at the lady and I said, ma'am, don't worry about it turned the movie off. I waited 10, 15 minutes, AirPods recharged, put them back on, finished my movie. Now, here's what's interesting. The rest of the flight, this lady is being super friendly to me, right? So as we land, she strikes up a quick conversation, and then she says, what do you plan on doing for New Year's Eve? And I wanted to say, I'm going to go home with my family, and we're probably going to watch somebody's New Year's Eve service on YouTube. We're going to watch church. But at this point, y'all, I was so embarrassed by my little funky attitude. I ain't want this lady to know that I was a Christian. God forbid she find out I was a pastor. Why am I sharing this story with you? I'm sharing this story with you because in the middle of conflict, I had an amazing opportunity to evangelize at the end of my flight, but I missed this opportunity because I had failed to be light along the flight. I was so caught up in proving my point and trying to be right that me and this lady had a division and unfortunately, she couldn't see a lick of Jesus in me. And oftentimes, I think you and I run the risk of getting into these disagreements, getting into these arguments with people, and we try to prove our point to be right. And unfortunately, we miss the opportunity to allow people to see the Jesus that lives on the inside of us. And this is what was happening in the church of Corinth. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. We're going to spend the majority of our time in chapters 8 and 9, but there's one verse of Scripture I want you to see in chapter number 1. The church of, Cor of Corinth was an extremely gifted church, but it was also a church that was sinful. It was a church that had a whole bunch of divisions and arguments that was taking place within it. And many scholars believe that Paul actually visits the church of Corinth, plants it for the first time in A.D. 50. He writes this letter in A.D. 55, and if you have ever read 1 Corinthians, you will see that Paul uses strong language when he speaks to the church of Corinth. And the reason why he uses this strong language is because he is saying to them, Christians, at this point in your walk with Jesus five years later, you should be further along than where you are. But you're still having petty 
arguments and disagreements. And here's what Paul says to the church in Corinth, and it's the same thing that uh, the Bible speaks to us today about how Christians should conduct themselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10. Here's what it says. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and process. So y'all, here is what Paul is telling me, and here is what Paul is telling you. Here's what God's Word is telling us, that as believers, we should strive to live in harmony as one, with one another. In case you didn't realize it, one day Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, there will be no bitterness. There will be no jealousy. There will be no envy. There will be no strife. There will be no bickering. There will be no conflict. And I believe, y'all, what Paul is really saying is, don't wait till Jesus to come back to make this happen. How about you practice it now? How about you practice living in harmony now? But unfortunately, because you and I have this thing called the sinful nature, occasionally it gets the better of us if we're not careful. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, there's a conflict. There's a disagreement that's taking place. And it's a disagreement between a group of mature believers versus a group of unmature believers. Let me give you the backdrop, and then we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 7. Here's what's taking place. These mature believers are upset with the immature believers because these immature believers come from pagan culture. And in pagan culture, there is oftentimes the worship of idols, the worship of false gods. And what the mature believers knew was is that you were allowed, you had the right to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. Because they understand with head knowledge, eating this meat that is sacrificed to idols does not impact your relationship with Jesus one way or the other. But these mature believers don't understand that yet. And as a result, they feel that by eating this meat to quote unquote in their minds real gods because they're still immature, they feel that it's sin. And look at what Paul says, beginning at verse number 7, again, 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. He says, however, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods, and their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. So here's what Paul is saying to the group of mature believers because this is what he's writing. This is who he's writing to. He's telling them, you are 100% right. There is nothing wrong with eating meat from these idols. And the truth is, is that there are some of you here today who are in similar situations with conflict with people to where you are 100% right about how you feel, about your view, and on what you think. But look at what Paul says next. He goes on to say, 
But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge because you know better, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. Here's what Paul is basically saying. This is the Brent Hatchet translation. You should never allow conflict to lead to sin. You should never allow conflict to cause your brother or sister to stumble because if it does, it puts you in a place of sin. Now, some of you are saying, well, Pastor Brent, how does conflict lead to sin? Unresolved conflict can lead to bitterness. It can lead to anger. It can lead to envy. It can lead to jealousy. And if you are not careful, it can lead to unforgiveness. These are all works of the flesh, y'all. And Paul says over in Galatians, I have not called you to live according to the works of the flesh, but I have called you to live according to the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. That's Galatians 5 if you want to go home and read it. So when I find myself in the middle of conflicts, in the midst of conflict, Am I exercising the works of the flesh or am I displaying the fruit of the Spirit? Look at what Paul goes on to say next in verse 13. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Here's the thing. Some of us are holding on in the middle of our argument to what we believe is right. And Paul says, listen, I know I'm well within my rights and you're well within your rights to eat meat. But if it's going to cause somebody else to stumble, if it's going to lead somebody else to sin, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let it go. I'm going to drop it. And the question that I want you to wrestle with today is for those of you who are right now facing a conflict, whether it be with a coworker, whether it be with a family member, the question I want you to ask, whether it be with a friend, is what I'm fighting for worth it? Can I be mature enough to simply let it go? Could you have imagined what would have happened if I would have kept going back and forth with that flight attendant? Number one, she would have walked away hurt because Pastor Brent with 2% Holy Ghost is not a good Pastor Brent. I would have said some things that would have cut that lady to her core. But because she was in authority over me, she could have done some things that would have hurt me, y'all. I could see the headline now. Pastor at Cornerstone banned from Southwest Flights over headphones. 
Because the truth of the matter is, is it's not worth it. Some of you all are on your jobs right now and you're fighting with your supervisor over what you think is right and over what you think is fair. And the truth of the matter is, is if you really think about it, is it really worth it? I know I'm telling you all to go out into the world and be light and here's what you need to hear from me. Being light does not mean talking to people about Jesus all the time. Let me help you out. Being light does not mean talking about Jesus all the time. Being light means you and I are living and loving like Jesus all the time. Maybe I draw someone to Jesus not with the words that I say, but with the lifestyle that I live and the actions that prove that I love you. What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It keeps no record of wrong. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always hopes, always perseveres, always has faith. Love never fails. So maybe, just maybe, the argument with people shouldn't be whether or not I'm right. Maybe, just maybe, I should spend more time trying to be light. I love what Paul says next in the next chapter, chapter 9, because he deals with their conflict, he deals with their issue, but then he goes on and makes it personal, and he talks about his rights that he has and how he has laid them to the side. Check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, here's what Paul says. Am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? Even if others think I am not an apostle, I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. So here in this argument, Paul says two things. Number one that you need to know is that I am a free man. There is nothing that binds me except the law of the land and the law of Christ. The second thing that Paul says is I'm an apostle, which means I have a certain level of authority. I have a certain level of rights within the church. And now there are others who want to question my apostleship because I wasn't there with the other 11 when they saw the resurrected Jesus get up out of the grave. But Paul says, no, I've seen Jesus face to face. It was in a vision on the road to Damascus. And you know that I have been changed because I was once saw a man that was killing and persecuting Christians. But now I am Paul who has shared the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. And your life has been impacted by it. You should not be questioning my apostleship, my authority. So Paul establishes those two things. And now he sets them up to talk about, because of those two things, here are the rights that I have. Paul goes on to say, this is my answer to those who question my authority. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a Christian wife with us as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers do and as Peter does? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? So here's what Paul says. We're going to look at a graphic real quick. Here's what basically Paul is saying. Did he and Barnabas have the right to food and drink as they ministered? And the answer is yes. Did he and Barnabas have the right to have believing wives with them like other apostles? And the answer is yes. And were he and Barnabas, the only apostles, not worthy of pay for their work? And the answer is no. They should have been paid 
for preaching the gospel. This is why this is important. I want you to look at your life and look at the people that you're in conflict right. Based on what they've said, based on what they've done, based on the situation they put you in, you have every right to tell them off. You, you've got every right to hold a grudge against them. You've got every right to give them a piece of your mind. But the question is, is it worth it? Paul then speaks to them and he makes it a little bit more practical. He gives them another example outside of him. Here's what Paul goes on to say in the next verse, verse 7. What soldier has to pay his own expenses? What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of its fruit? What shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and it isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? Here's what Paul basically says. Does any soldier serve at his own expense? No. Do farmers eat from their produce? Yes. Do shepherds drink milk from their flocks? Yes. Paul is basically saying there are certain things, y'all, that are just common sense. They're 100% common sense. And I know for a fact that you get in some arguments with people at your job and be like, man, why can't these folks see that this is so simple? Just do this. Because it's common sense. But look at what Paul goes on to say. Paul goes on to say, verse 8, Am I expressing merely a human opinion, or does the law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says you must not muzzle, muzzle an ox to keep it from eating uh, as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes. It was written for us so that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. Y'all, here's what Paul is saying. When I'm talking about my rights, when I'm talking about my authority, when I'm talking about my privileges, I am not just giving you opinions. I got facts to back them up. I got scripture that supports me. And I believe that I'm sitting in a room full of people who you've got facts to back you up. You've got scripture to support you. But look at what Paul says next. He says, since we have planted spiritual seed among you, aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Paul says, I'll lay down all of the things that I am right about because I don't want to be a hindrance or an obstacle that pushes you further away from the gospel, that pushes you further away from Jesus. I'd rather lay it down and be light. Here's the thing. Paul understands that his rights, while they're important, the salvation of others is more important. People growing closer to Jesus is more important. He says, this thing here, it's bigger than me. This conflict is small. It's minute in comparison to the work that God is trying to do in my life and the work that God is trying to do in your life. And my concern with some of us who are in the middle of conflict now 
is that if we don't learn how to navigate conflict in a healthy manner, if we're not careful, it can lead to darkness. It could lead to families being torn apart. It could lead to friendships that have been good just falling apart. The truth is, is you and I weren't built to do life alone. You and I were built to do life together and in community. But in community, because we have the sinful nature, there are issues. So I've got to learn not to live according to the works of the flesh, but I've got to live according to the works of the Spirit. And i got to make sure that in every circumstance I find myself in, I try my best to be the light. Look at what Paul goes on to say next. I'm almost done. Uh, he says in verse number 13, Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefited from it. Yet I have never used any of these rights, and I am not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. Let me pause here. I believe that there are people who are listening to me today in this room and who are watching online that the Holy Spirit has been compelling you to let it go. He's been compelling you to drop the issue. Because what's at stake is bigger than the disagreement. And there are some of you who are mature believers. And I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention to say, man, we're supposed to be beyond this now. Let it go. Look at how Paul concludes. He says, if I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. What then is my pay? It is the opportunity. Let me say it again. It is the opportunity. Let me say it again. It is the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. Y'all, there is an opportunity in conflict. And that opportunity is to be light. Do you know what the world really looks like when you look at the world from through the spiritual lens? Aaron, could you do me a favor? And could you turn off the lights and let's close all the doors in the back? Turn off all the lights, all the lights, even the ones on the stage. If you're scared of the dark, I'm going to be praying for you. It's going to be all right. When you look at the world through a spiritual lens, this is what the world looks like. And it looks this way because we did a horrible job as humanity navigating conflict. Instead of living in peace, instead of living in harmony, instead of living in joy, because we have been at odds with one another, we live out jealousy, bitterness, 
envy, unforgiveness. And the truth is, is that God has called every single believer to not blend into the world. But he's called every single believer to stand out amongst the world. He says, I don't want you to live this life in conflict and hold on to bitterness and anger and selfishness and jealousy and envy and unforgiveness. Here's what Paul says. Here's actually what Jesus says. Jesus says... Instead, I want you to be the light of the world. So the question becomes, what does it look like for us as believers living in a dark world to be the light of the world? If you have your cell phones, I want you to pull it out and I want you to do me a huge favor. I just want you to turn on your flashlight. And then I want you to raise your flashlight high up in the air so everybody can see it. Jesus says in the midst of conflict, I don't care how dark the world is. I don't care how hostile people are. I want you to shine your light. I want you to shine it so bright that it has to expel the darkness. I want you to shine your light so bright that demons tremble. I want you to shine your light so bright that hell gets scared. I want you to shine your bright so light that men will know, despite the way you have acted, despite the way you have treated people, that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And this will take place because you and I will make the commitment to say, in the midst of conflict, I am determined to shine my light. You can turn the lights back on now. See, it wasn't that bad. So when you go home, when you leave church today, and you start thinking about the conflict that you may run into or the conflict you've already experienced, do me a favor. Shine your light. Don't blend in with the darkness. Shine your light. Because it's not about being right. The goal is to be light. Hey, let's pray. Man, Holy Spirit, you are so kind. God, I want to take a moment and I want to pray for people who are hurting because of conflict, who are having a hard time letting it go. Holy Spirit, would you minister to them? Would you be with them? And this week, or the week after, whenever you do it, help them to realize that they can let it go so that they can shine their light bright for all to see. And I pray this won't just be a word that we heard, but I pray that this is a word that we would go and do. We thank you, we bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. And everybody said, amen.
Wow, I believe God is doing some powerful things through this series on relationships that we've been walking through together. If you have a story that you would love to share with us or how this series has impacted you, we'd love to hear that. If you need prayer this morning, feel free to text prayer to 21999 and someone will reach out and pray with you. Thank you again for spending your weekend with us. We love that you're here. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week and we'll see you next time.